I listen to um, a lot of podcasts these days because I've been driving a lot and I can't stand just listening to the radio while I yep. drive. I, so I download pod and I, I like the ones that have a cold start. I like okay. it. Okay. All right. It's like mid conversation. So I think this is the show, Vaughn. We definitely got a cold start. We did. Tell you. <laughs> so, um, okay. So since this is the show, I should probably say who you are. Not a bad plan. That's, yeah. So you're Vaughn Irving. I am. Right. What's your middle name, Vaughn? Matthew. Matthew. You gave yeah. that up real easy. Why is it when people ask for a middle name, the, the common response is, well, I'm not going to tell you. Like some sort of, oh, guess what my middle name is. Does that happen to you a mysterious. lot? No, it happens to me all the time. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand that. Actually, I do that sometimes. I, I do that lie. sometimes too. And I also don't know why. I well, don't... it's the one part of our like personality that we keep secret, you know? It's yeah. like we, our first and last names are our identity, but this is this middle secret thing that exists in all of us. And if you can possibly guess what my middle name is, then you must know me extremely well. Yeah. So Matthew Irving, Vaughn. Uh, Vaughn Matthew Irving. Vaughn, uh, you're an actor. I am. I am. You're a musician. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the primary. There was a, there was a little hesitation there. Uh, yeah, I suppose and, I can call myself that. Yeah, sure. Uh, and you're a playwright. I am. Recently, recently become a playwright, really. It's a, um, this is, this will be my first time I'll have been professionally produced as a playwright. Right. Um, and also, if I'm not mistaken, is this the first time that all three of those things are coming together? Actor, musician, oh, playwright, definitely. all in one? Yeah. That's um, pretty cool. I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah. So the whole reason we're doing this uh, this uh, podcast right now, you know, the only podcast on the internet, mm-hmm. um, is that I realized I have a lot of... Uh, talented for well, I didn't just realize I have a lot of talented friends but I I realized that you know the friends that I have that are doing interesting things those interesting things are worth uh are worth recording in this way I feel you know and and to sort of make it available for other people to find out what's going on and uh hopefully you know and obviously at first this will just kind of be shared with people that we know and maybe it'll go in some sort of promotional area for your show and everything but i'd like to mm-hmm. eventually have this maybe reach out to people who maybe happen to live in the washington area washington dc area who are maybe then going to go oh maybe i'll come see this show at the mm-hmm. fringe so vaughn has written a show for the fringe festival this year 2013 so today, yeah. the date we're recording this podcast is June 5th, 2013. And your show opens when, Vaughn? The show opens on July 13th. It's being performed at the Baldacino Gypsy Tent Bar at the Capitol Fringe Festival building, uh, which is in uh, D.C., northwest D.C. I know we're kind of putting the cart before the horse here, but if people want to get tickets so they don't have to listen to the whole podcast to figure that out, where should they go? Oh, you know what? I should probably have that information right here in front of me. Yeah, don't worry. We'll we'll cut this out. Okay, good. You can go to the Capital Fringe Festival website, which I believe is capitalfringe.org, mm-hmm. uh, and buy tickets through there. They also have a phone number, I think. Yeah, they probably know do. What it is. Maybe, maybe by the end of the show, we'll know what that phone number is. That'll yeah, be the teaser know? to listen to the rest Ooh. of the show. Clever. That is the possibly worst teaser that ever (laughs) existed. Hey, if you listen long enough, you'll be able to find out what this phone number is that you can easily look up on your own. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the show, Vaughn. Okay. You know what? Actually, I kind of want to back up because I think this will segue nicely into talking about the show. Vaughn and I know each other from college. Oh, yeah. You're an actor, too, Don. I, I am I am an actor, too. I'm not just... This is Don Denton, by the way, who is running these podcasts, who you didn't introduce yourself either at the beginning That's of true, this. you know, so. but this is the first episode, so I'm allowed to make mistakes, I feel. That's fine. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's going to be far less important than uh, than the bios of, of the people that I'm interviewing. But uh, Vaughn and I met at Illinois Wesleyan in, uh, I guess it was 02 when we met. Yeah. Didn't we yeah. audition on the same day? I think we did. did we so it might that? have been 01. I don't know when that would have been. Might have been 01. Or was it still 02? Because I it feel like... It was January or something, maybe February. Yeah, oh, it was February. It was February. It was February. I remember yeah. because 
this is what happened. I got my notice to audition in the mail, and it was on February 2nd was the audition day. Uh-huh. And I opened up the mail, and I said, oh, no. So my mother was standing there, and I said, oh, no, Mom, I have to audition on February 2nd. That's April Fool's. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my mother just gave me a look. <laughs> I thought about it a little harder, and I said, no, that's, that's Groundhog Day. Uh, yep. Uh, and then you went to college and learned a whole lot of things and so you would never make that kind of mistake again i never did because of the the education that you got at illinois Illinois wesleyan Wesleyan. university there's a plug for you yeah there there you are so we met at uh illinois wesleyan Mm -hmm. and uh we did we did a few shows together out there quite a few yeah then after after we both graduated, which was in '06, uh, we ended up working together again, which was wonderful at Circa Twenty One in Rock Island, Illinois. Mm-hmm. That's Circa Twenty One Dinner Playhouse, I think, is the full name of the, the so. place. And we did a little show called The Full Monty. The Full Monty, which was a blast. We we actually stripped together on stage. It's yeah, the it only was wonderful. Time that that I've very, done that. <laughs> it brought us closer together. I feel. Mm-hmm. But now, if I'm not mistaken, it was during that show in 2006 that you those, first those got 2008. the idea, or no. 2008. I'm sorry, yes, 2008. That's correct. We graduated in 06. Uh, we did that in 08. So in 2008, I believe was the first was when Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk became uh, a glimmer in your eye. It's true. That's when the concept was born. I can tell that story a little. What happened was. We, uh, the show Full Monty has a kid in it, a twelve-year-old kid, um, and uh, he came backstage with um, some pieces of our shimmer curtain, like silvery, shiny pieces of shimmer curtain. And he had they had fallen down, and he had wrapped them around his head like a crown. And he came into our dressing room and he said, "I'm Jesus," and I said, "You're Disco Jesus." <laughs> and then my mind just started racing. <laughs> To all of the potential possibilities for Disco Jesus. Now that was that was Matthew, right? Not Pablo. We that had was two... Matthew, not Pablo. Yeah, yeah, we had two. So if Pablo's listening to this and going, "Did I do that?" No, you didn't. I'm sorry, Pablo. Sorry, you couldn't Ooh. be the inspiration, Pablo. You were the inspiration for you know other great things, though, Pablo. I'm sure. So anyway, your mind started racing. Right, right. I didn't know if it was a band. I didn't know if it was a show. Oh, my air conditioner just kicked on. Can you hear it? Um, I don't. So. Is it going to ruin the podcast? You know, I'm I'm wearing awful. I've got a nice microphone, comparatively speaking, and I've got Apple, uh, you know, ear earbuds. So, yeah. Well, there goes your yeah. Apple sponsorship. You've just called them awful. I didn't. I did. I say awful. You said I do, awful. You know what? I actually do have a sponsorship. Can you believe that? From Apple? No. <laughs> that would be nice, though, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, I have a sponsorship uh, for, um, I should have mentioned it at the beginning. Yeah. This is why this is episode one, Vaughn, is because I'm not very good at it. We're yet. learning, we're um, learning. Sponsored by uh, uh, Chris Rogers Bass and Photography. And I'll talk more about them a little later, but yeah, so sponsoring the show. Already got someone. Yeah, no way to go. First episode. I, you know, yeah, you know, you got to do what you can to. Right, to, to sort of sell your soul. Right. Right. Anyways, um, I didn't know if it was a band, didn't know if it was a show. I just knew it was Disco Jesus. And the Apostles of Funk, I think, came right there at the beginning, too. Uh, and it was a title, and I, and I didn't really know where to go with it. And the reason it's not a band is I thought it would just be too hard to get a band together that was this size. <laughs> <laughs> it would be much easier to mount an entire musical than to yeah. get a band together. You know, hindsight 2020. <laughs> I feel like this happens a lot where someone says, oh, man, that'd be a great idea for a show. But there's not really there's nothing fleshed out in the idea. Right. It's there's just like, no, oh, this there's is no clever. actual idea there. There's just a title. Yeah. But the title was kind of exciting enough to really get you rolling. Right. Right. And then I, oh, a few years went by where I didn't really know what to do with this thing. And um, inspiration got a hold of me again in the form of unemployment. And uh, and I was in Chicago. You were stranded at the time, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah, I had had a job that fell through. That I was it was I was an acting job, and it was a theater that was going to house me. And the job fell through, so I didn't have a job or a place to live. Um, so I ended up in Chicago with no uh, 
with no money and nowhere to live and no job. And so it's, instead of crying about it, you took the bull by the horns. Yeah, and yeah. And you said, and I'm going to create something that's going to make me a million dollars, and you wrote a musical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might have not have been the smartest person, but I was motivated. <laughs> Yeah, so I was sleeping on our, our good friend Adam Miller's couch. He is also a graduate of Illinois Wesleyan University. There's your other sponsorship right there, man. Yeah, I, we've mentioned them. They should be just giving me money now. I think so. Anyway, it, we, I was sleeping on his couch. I was uh, I was working as an understudy. I got an understudy gig at uh, Drury Lane Theater in, uh, in Oak, Oak Brook. Is that where they are? I believe so, yes. Yeah, Illinois. It's um, Oak something. Oak Park. Oak it's near Park. Chicago. Great theater. Yeah, yeah. Our Chicago friends are going to be horrified that we don't know the names of this place. But anyway. Yeah, right. And I was, I was, but I was an understudy, so I never actually had to go in. I just had to sit at home and wait for them to call me, and they didn't. But I took my time to start right at work on Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk, the musical. And I decided right at the beginning when I started writing it that I wanted to produce it for the Fringe Festival this summer. That was back in 2010. The winter of 2010, almost 20, no, 2011, going into 2012. So you knew right away you wanted it to be in the Fringe Festival. I didn't realize that. I did. Well, I thought, there's no way I'm going to finish this if I don't have a deadline, right? If I don't have a goal. And so I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to produce it in this festival. And I started working on it. And I, and I wrote it there. I got a couple songs written. And I had an outline for the plot essentially done by the time I left Chicago. That was... uh January 1st, 2012 is when I moved back, when I moved into the house that I'm in right now, which is in Arlington, Virginia, just so everybody can stalk me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, give out your address, phone number, and social security number, too, and that'll... Awesome. Yeah. I'll do, we'll do that at the end so that people can write it down. Oh, that'll be the teaser. There you go. I'll do it right after the sponsorship break. Oh, ooh, we have a sponsorship break? Well, I mean, we have a sponsor. I think I should probably talk about them a little bit. Right, more than you just did. Yeah. But it's not like you have a commercial to run or anything. No. Like, wow! Chris Rogers, Basin Photography. Yeah. But that's no, pretty I good. No, I don't have one of those. Do that again at the break. Oh, yeah, I should. Anyways, the, uh, when I got back here, I started working at this place called Kidville, which kind of sounds scary, but it's nice. It's not run by the kids. They just go there to hang out. <laughs> It's it's a it's a day um organized play essentially a lot of little classes for very young children um and I teach a music class there we get there them to sponsor you too it's just, we'll just mention everywhere and soon you'll be a millionaire I think that's how it works if we mention your name so if you're listening to this podcast and you hear your name mentioned you you owe us money <laughs> yes. that includes Pablo and and Matthew yeah it's it's involuntary sponsorships yes it's kind of like taxes. It's involuntary. Yes, there you go. So, started working at this place where I was playing music for kids. We did a little band, and and, and the drummer from that group the, that we would play for children on Saturday mornings, a huge fan of funk, and I mentioned to him while we were working there that I was writing this show, and he lit up like I could see the excitement in his face, and he was like, do you need any help? And, and I had already been looking around to find somebody to help me write the music, because as I briefly alluded to earlier... When he, when I hesitated before I said I was a musician, not I'm not an expert when it comes to things musical. Your 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 wheelhouse is uh, percussion. Yes, I, yeah, I grew up playing drums forever, and uh, and then I picked up the guitar later on, and I've fooled around on the piano a little bit, but that's the expen- extent of my musical knowledge. And our two semesters of music theory in college, which uh, has served me well, but not enough to necessarily write a funk song. Or a lot of <laughs> a lot of different funk songs. If only it had been, you know, Bach, Jesus, and the Apostles of Funk. Because mm-hmm. you can, can write, write you can write you some music without, you know, parallel fifths. Oh yes, I can. It doesn't have a melody. That was always the notes that I got because I would just follow the rules, but I wouldn't actually write a song. <laughs> I'd get my paper back, and he'd say. This is, this follows all the rules. It just sounds <laughs> terrible. Did you have, uh, Professor Tucker? Did we all have Professor Tucker? I did not have Professor Tucker, but I don't remember the name of my professor. Uh, he was fun. I was in class with Elizabeth Williams. She will now owe us money too. Oh, great. She would remember who it was. I don't know. 
So you can't really write funk with the the background yes. that you had. I did not have the necessary knowledge, the requisite skills, um, or a copy of Finale, <laughs> which is helpful when writing music on da- down, writing it down, not necessarily writing it. Um, anyway, but I teamed up with him starting uh, about a year ago, maybe a little bit less than that. Toward the end of summer, we started working on this uh, together. I had already written pretty much the script, uh, 80% of the script. And I knew where songs were going, but I didn't know how songs were going to sound um, or function. And he came into the process and was just so helpful. He came up with a lot of cool ideas. We ended up getting sort of genre anchor songs for all the different songs we wanted to put in the show. Because if you think of disco and funk... It's a huge breadth of of music um, and music that sounds different ways from James Brown, which James Brown by himself has three or four different sounds that you could try to sound like, you know, all the way up to to the village people, to cameo, to, you know, the, the 1980s funk and disco stuff that was towards the end of the movement. So from the 60s to the 80s, we had this whole spectrum of, of music and he came up with these great ideas that we wanted to hit on these genres as we went through the show to sort of give the spectrum of the style of music. And uh, it's worked out really great. And so he ended up writing all the, well, besides the two songs that I had worked on already, mm-hmm. he came in and, and wrote the rest of the music as far as chord progressions and, uh, and rhythm parts and things like that grooves. And then I came in and wrote vocal lines and occasionally a horn line and, then we would really collaborate on the music, which it was a godsend to have him there helping me with that. And that's the history of the show. And that's Paul Foreman, right? Paul Foreman, yes. Okay. Has he got uh, a, a website or something, or, or you know, so if people are interested in his stuff? I don't know. I do, he does do a lot of like sort of freelance work and and uh, music classes and songwriting and things like that. Um, but I have not ever seen a um, a website for him. I'm going to look it up right now while we're talking, though. Yeah, no no worries about that. If you, if you do find it and we don't find it while we're talking, I'll put it into the uh, show notes. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, sure lots of sh- people are going to be reading those. The show notes, which can be found at the theonlypodcastontheinternet.com. And, and because I haven't, at the time of this recording, actually built that website, <laughs> I don't know where beyond that the show notes will be, but they will be in there probably. You could just describe where they are now and then just paint yourself into a corner when you're building the site. Exactly. So they're going to be at that site slash um, ultimate mega show notes. That's probably not true. I've discovered that there's a lot of different people named Paul Foreman just now as I was Googling it. Yeah, so we're going to we're gonna make sure our listeners don't have to Google anything. He's not the guy who wrote the novel Bloodstains in Paradise. Not that, not that Are Paul. Are you sure? No, but... He does have paulforman.com, that guy. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> That's just like domdenton.com. Drives me crazy. It's a joke site. It's a joke site? It's, it is a, it is a, uh, it is a joke website. It, well, and it links to this guy's, Don, Don's other sites that he has and like, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings trivia. It's, it's, it's an odd thing and, um, hmm. I don't think I'm ever going to convince him to um, let me buy it from him, even though he hasn't updated it in approximately six years. But, you know, c'est la vie. DonDentonActor.com will work just fine. Yeah, you know, that works. I, I and, did get VonIrving.com. Yeah, I was going to say, yours is VonIrving.com. But That's Von Irving, VA. not a lot of us out there. Right. Not a lot That's of VonIrvings. Well, and I didn't I think lucky. there were a whole lot of Don Dentons, but apparently there are. There's mm-hmm. a decent number. Um, but anyway, Vaughn Irving, that's V-A-U-G-H-N-I-R-V-I-N-G dot com. Right. Um, now I'm going to have to update my website. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a little bit of time there. while I'm getting this all edited and thrown together. Good. Because I got, I've got nothing but time these days producing a musical. Yeah, of course. That's, that's easy. Oh, yeah. Everyone who's ever produced a musical knows that. Mm-hmm. And you do, you did the, uh, I mean, when it comes right down to it, you know, you're not, you're not creating this grand, gigantic, spectacle-driven musical. However, right. you are creating something that is brand new. 
So it's not just the task of producing. It's not just the task of finding a director, finding a cast, finding a space and all that. You actually are also, well, you're going to be in it too. Mm-hmm. That's true. Which I don't, I don't think we mentioned that yet. But I don't think we did, except for you said that my acting and my playwriting and my music well, making were all, all coming together. together. Yeah, yes. yeah. So you're going to be playing Jesus. I will be playing Jesus in this. If you could see me now, I'm all hairy. I have a beard that doesn't grow in very well, and my hair is very long. And I'm starting to look like Jesus, though. It's it's working. I need a, I need to go out in the sun a little bit. Maybe I'm very, very white. But depending on whose Jesus you are, I guess I could work. I'm disco Jesus, though, so we'd probably have a tan. You should definitely get a little bit of sun. Right. We're going to talk to the costume designer about that and see. So you are in the midst of all this. You've got... So you're, are you pretty much done at this point with the script? Or are you yes. still reworking it? There, are, I think there's going to be tweaks and twists. We are officially starting rehearsal on Monday the 10th. Oh, no, Sunday the 9th of June is when our rehearsals officially start for the play. We have been having band practices because this musical is about... Um, I guess I should go a little bit into the concept of this show in order so people don't get lost. Maybe? I don't know. I think that's a good idea. Yeah? And as a matter of fact, I kind of want to, before you do that, though, I do want to say that I got the chance, because I did um, I did some of the promotional material for the show, so I got mm-hmm. a chance to listen to one of your early, early, like, scratch tracks of one of the songs, mm-hmm. and I got to read what was then the working copy of the script. Um, this was back in January, I think. Okay, yeah. And... I have to say, it was vastly different than I thought it was going to be. From the title, what I thought this show was going to be was a retelling, almost, of the story of Jesus. Not necessarily trying to retell it in a quote-unquote accurate way, but a retelling of the story of Jesus as though he was a disco singer. Right, and that that is not what I have done in this show. And I think what you have done in this show is actually going to be very good for for folks who may have avoided this show thinking, okay, you're just making fun of Christians and religion, and and you're actually not. You know, reading this script, there's a lot of there's a lot of material in there that I guess you would call family inappropriate or maybe not family friendly. <laughs> yes, yes. However, it's actually not, um, I don't know, blasphemous. There's nothing in the show that made me go, ooh, I think people are going to get angry at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. Because we, of the we, premise. It's That's not, because that isn't the premise of the show. Um, it actually, I think you'll have a lot of people who go, oh, that was, I was a little worried maybe that this would be offensive. And it's not. Right. Somehow. Right. <laughs> Somehow you've managed to do that. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I didn't even set out to do that necessarily. I didn't say, "Hey, you know what? I want to write a show that is." No, of course is... not. You you write a show because you think that that's where the show needs to go. That's where it leads right. to. Right. I mean, it's the the inappropriateness comes from the disco and funk, and not from the Jesus. Disco and funk songs are all about sex. It's and I, and I couldn't avoid that, and so not that I necessarily wanted to, but. There, I wanted to make sure that my songs were fitting into the genre of of disco and funk, which are, you know, it's it's seventies. It's very much about, it, and it's dance music. It's like the same topics you hear discussed about dance music on dance music today. Let's go out to the club and get drunk and get lucky. So go ahead with the with the premise of the show. Okay, so the the premise of the show, well, the the first the structure of the show is it, it is a funk band on stage delivering this story to you, telling the story. Stepping forward, stepping into characters, uh, and stepping back, playing their music again, and then sometimes playing their music as characters in the show. And so the orchestra is the cast, which is something that is sort of trendy these days, I guess. I've, I don't know if that's maybe just in my circles, it's trendy. I'm not sure. It's more popular, I think, these days than it has been in the past. Yeah. Sweeney Todd and, um, uh, company have been on Broadway in the last 10 years, and they've both been done this way with, uh, with actors playing all the music and the orchestra is the cast. But mine is different than that in many ways. 
It was well, yours was written to be performed that way, as opposed to right. hey, let's try this out and see if it works. Like like once was also written exactly. To do that. So, and the story is about a girl named Mary who everyone keeps asking me: Is she Mary Magdalene? Is she is she Mary Jesus's mother? I don't know how else we call her Mary. Does she have a last name? Mother Mary. Mother Mary. Mother <laughs> Mary. Yeah, I say that enough in the show that I should know it. And my answer to them is no. Because this story, the story is about finding yourself, about finding your voice, about being your own person. And, uh, and not prescribing to someone else's view of who you should be. And so our, our main character, Mary, through the process of the show, throws off the, the metaphors, you know, uh, it refuses to become Mary Magdalene. And I think that that's really the point of it. But, and it's somewhat feminist of a show, but I think that anyone can relate to it in that we've all been in places where folks were trying to tell us we needed to be some, a certain way and we wanted to not be that way. <laughs> and, and the struggle of it, cause it's not just, it's not that easy. You know, if you've got, especially people who you love and trust coming to you and saying, Hey, you should probably do this. It's no small task to say, not just to say you're not going to, but to believe in your heart it's okay not to. Right, right. And to, I mean, it's a human struggle, well, at least, maybe not human, maybe this is a first world problem, but trying to find your path in the world and, and, and feel like you are doing something that is both satisfying for you and beneficial for society, right? And it's something that, as an actor, I have struggled with before thinking, oh, you know what? I don't do anything. Yeah, you're not, you're not feeding anyone with your acting. Right. And as a writer as well, because I, I sometimes end up thinking of writing as a, as a selfish act, as a, as a narcissistic act, right? To say, here, I have something that I'm going to tell you that deserves to be heard. That there's a, there's, you need to hear this, which is something that I'm not particularly comfortable with. Even though you've been writing songs, at least, for years now. Right, right. Um, and it was one of the things that always steered me toward comedy. Because I didn't want to end <laughs> up... When you, when, you, when you sit on the couch of comedy, <laughs> suddenly you don't need to be... You can say anything you want and it's forgiven, almost, to an extent. You don't have to be out there to make a point, to prescribe a, a, a mode of thinking. And, and that's something I never wanted to do. And that's something that I'm ad- actively not doing in this piece to say, hey, which is why it ends up not being offensive, I think. Because I'm not saying, hey, you should not be religious. And I'm not saying, hey, you should be religious. And I'm not saying that you need to, you know, you, you need to listen to me because I'm right. What I am saying is we all need to find our path. Yeah. We all need to find what's right for us. And... It's an individual thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and you and I have had many conversations about um, things that can get people like when we you and I will sometimes sit and talk p- politics or religion. Mm-hmm. You have always struck me as someone who never thinks by God, I'm right and you're wrong and listen to me. You're always one to say this is my opinion, this is what I think, it's based on this, but I'm also really interested in what you have to say. And I think that the best art really does that. Even if the person making it or or the, the, the agenda of the particular piece that you're watching is, you need to do this. I think the best art introduces the idea of, but I guess you don't have to, you know? Or, right. you know, here's... Here's the argument against, even though this is what I'm for. Here's the argument against, and I'm going to p- put those two things together. Uh, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think the best art also starts a conversation, you know? And I think that by presenting only one side of an argument, you cannot start a conversation. Um, Absolutely. I think of The Goat by Edward Albee. Do you know that? Or, the, or who is Sylvia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where the guy falls in love with a goat. Then the rest of the play is just about them, you know, like 
this is wrong. And the guy's like, but I'm in love with the goat and the goat loves me. And then you're like, well, how can you know if the goat loves you? And you get both sides of this ridiculous sort of argument. You know what I mean? This, this, this this thing that you would completely write off immediately. Yes. If it wasn't presented to you in this kind of manner that where all of a sudden you start going, what do I think about this? (laughs) Right. That's right. That's what I feel like good art does. it, it, it challenges your own views on things and it, and it makes you go, hmm, this is interesting. And hopefully also in the meantime entertains you because that's my main focus as a performer, specifically as a performer, is that I want to make something that people want to watch. Yeah. I'll go ahead and take this moment to, to do our sponsor break, Vaughn. All right. And I will talk about Chris Rogers' bass and photography. Uh, so if you go to MrChrisRogers.com, that's M-R-K-R-I-S-R-O-G-E-R-S.com, Mr. Chris Rogers. Chris offers two services. One is he plays the bass, upright, electric, and his other services, he is also a photographer. He is amazingly talented uh, in both those realms. Um, so if you need a bass player for a show that you're putting up, like... Vaughn, it would be, um, if he lived in your area. Right. I was about to say, you should probably tell me where he lives so that, uh, <laughs> if he lived that in folks your area, who are listening can call him if exactly, they need to. Exactly. I would have uh, suggested that you have a look at him for your show because um, mm. he's no slouch as an actor either. Oh, good. But his main, his main thrust is uh, bass and photography. He did my headshots. Which I suppose, uh, if you're listening to this in the near future, you can still see his work. It's at dondentonactor.com, and you'll you'll find my headshots somewhere there. But he did those. He is a phenomenal photographer, and he is based out of Astoria, New York. So if you are in the New York area and you need either someone to play bass for um, a project that you're working on, or if you need some photos, either headshots, promotional or otherwise, he does some great uh, engagement photos that I've seen. He's just really got some good stuff, but you can check out his website. He's got a, a portfolio up there. And I will say that the last time I can look at it right now, but I I believe it's still some of his older material. Yeah. His portfolio is some of his older material and it's only gotten better. He's doing stuff now that I, I think is of a higher quality than some of the stuff that he even has on the site. And I think you'll agree, if you go to the site, mrchrisrogers.com, you'll see that the stuff that he has up is pretty amazing. And really nice thing about it is he is far, far less expensive than the big photographers in New York. And he gives you a, a product that is at times completely indistinguishable. Um, so mrchrisrogers.com, I guess you could tell him I sent you. Say, Don sent me. And Chris will go, okay, great. That'll be like good return on investment. Then he'll know that his money is working for him. Exactly. Exactly. His millions of dollars that he spent on this, uh, on this sponsorship right here. Not anybody can sponsor Don Denton. No, no, I wouldn't. The only podcast on the internet. The the only podcast on the internet. Yeah. That's like, Everybody should want to sponsor that. I guess technically I don't need sponsors because I don't have any. No, no, no. Actually, what that means is, yeah, I should be getting million-dollar sponsors right. because I have no competition. Everyone is going to be listening to me, <clears throat> which is why I can make this show about whatever I want because I have no competition. I'm the only podcast right. on the Internet. It'll be like 40 hours long, and we can just talk about nothing. So um, at MrChrisRogers.com, check him out. Uh, he's a great guy, really fun to work with, and uh, he produces great stuff both musically and visually with the photography. So MrChrisRogers.com, and thank you for the sponsorship, Chris. I appreciate it. Woo! Yeah. So getting back to that topic, like I was saying before, I think that you know there certainly is art that exists simply to entertain, and I don't dare say that that's not art. I still think it is art. Right. I think, you know, art is a pretty wide umbrella and people that want to make it, you know, a small camp are, are I think, wrong. But uh, they think I'm wrong too, so that's okay. But I think the point of art that tries to teach or tries to get you to, to look at a different point of view, I think it's 
If you're going to do something that potentially offends someone, you better be just as entertain well, more entertaining than you are offensive so that people will forgive the offense and continue watching the show. Right. Continue right. experiencing the art that you've created. I think that's a really, I mean, that's a common sort of, I will call it a downfall of a lot of, of a lot of potentially good things. Um, both, both dramatic and comedy, right? Because I will consider my show both. Um, and that was something I was concerned with, but I was in a, I was in a comedy trio for a little while called Silly Songs with Silly Guys, mm-hmm. which was a terrible title. And I tried to get them to change it because it sounded like we were playing children's music and it was not appropriate for children. <laughs> Very much not. And they wrote a song once. There were a couple songs that we couldn't play live. And the first one was, it was right after Steve Irwin had, had died tragically with the Stingray. Oh, yeah. And they wrote this song that was from the Stingray's perspective. And it was, uh, it was not only too soon, but it wasn't funny. Like, it had the offensive, but none of the jokes justified the offense. And so, it was just not... There were no, there was nothing redeeming about it. You know, you can go off and, and, and you can be South Park and you can, you can do things that are just offensive for offense's sake, but they have to also be funny enough that they can, I, in my opinion, be forgiven. You know what I mean? Like, if this, if, if you're going to walk that line, you've, the payoff's got to be there. Exactly. But that is so much to say that your show has, a message that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It has yeah. entertainment. It has some things that I guess might be offensive to people. Yeah, but I mean, there are things people nominally. <laughs> could be offended by. And I believe that we'll probably get a few people who are offended by them. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, hopefully they don't walk out, you know. Right, right. I mean, if you come expecting the show to be a gospel. You will be offended. It's you, You're going to be offended. Yeah. Yes. Um, because it's not. And there are references. I mean, the main character... Well, the main character is Mary, but Mary stumbles upon a, a band that is called Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk. Yeah. So we never have the character of Jesus in the story. We have a man who plays Disco Jesus in the band Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk. So this is essentially a man who has gotten a band together and said, Hey guys, our band is going to be Jesus and the Apost- Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk. I'll play Jesus. Right. Which is almost what you did, but not quite. It is. You and did I it, do, you I, abstracted one layer above that. <laughs> I make some I make some meta jokes about that. Uh I I it's definitely in there. Because I think it's also to talk about arrogance and sort of narcissism. Writing a play and then casting yourself as Jesus in that play seems like it might you might have some problems with like <laughs> You're thinking you're a little grander than you are. I, right. I don't and, know. And, and luckily you have padded yourself from that because you merely play someone who plays Jesus. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I make fun of the fact during the play. Yeah. That's the thing. You can couch things in comedy and uh, and you can get away with a lot more. You of know? course. Oh, yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Because it, it is bringing in that sense of, okay, but that's really entertaining and funny. So, right. yes, it would be offensive, but I know it's meant in good humor, so I'm not offended. Right. Or I know that I could be completely judged for doing for casting myself as Jesus in a musical that I've written. <laughs> so all I need to do is make fun of myself for casting myself as Jesus in a musical that I've written during the musical, and right. I get away with it. Right, exactly. Hey! I hope maybe I can get you um some some tracks from rehearsal and you can like actually cut to like some sound in this. Oh thing. yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Um, I need to get permission from the maybe, cast. Yeah, maybe slide some of those in here. So I guess people will know already if I've done that. Right, because you'll hear it right now. If it didn't play, that means he didn't get it. That's right. That's almost more into t- I I can't decide if I want to get them now or if I don't want to get them. Right, because we have a little. That's kind of fun. Obviously. That is kind of fun. I don't know.
music first or lyrics first? Um, both. Both first. <laughs> um, depends on which song. Like, depends on. It depends which, on which song yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, um, of there is a song right at the beginning of the show that I wrote all of that is called Mary. It is sort of this nice little exposition song about our lead character, Mary. Mm-hmm. And the song actually came to me before I started writing the show. It was summer of 2010. Oh. I was asleep and I was having an actor dream. If you're not an actor and you're listening to that, actor dreams can be things like, oh, it's opening night, but I haven't been to rehearsal. Or, oh, where's my costume? I'm naked. Or things like that. This actor dream, I was at, I was at our blocking rehearsal and we were working on blocking the scene and I was singing this song with sheet music in my hand that I had never heard before. And the song was this song, Mary. Maybe that's the song I can send you because then you could cut to it right there. And then you get the joke about the silence. Never mind. But I woke up right after this dream was over and I thought, that was a good song. And so I started writing it down. And then I wrote the rest of it in the shower <laughs> that day. <laughs> I mean, it's been altered and changed and, yeah. and arranged in a much nicer way than that. But um, that song was written clearly lyrics first, because that's what I wrote down when I woke up from my dream. Uh-huh. Other songs, uh, when, once I started collaborating with Paul, I would send him things like, oh, we need a song that goes, Jesus loves me, this I know. Cause the rhythm tells me so, right? And I would send him an audio clip of that. And I was like, this is all I've got, but I want it to be a song. And then he would send me back music that went with it. And and then there were other times where I would say, okay, we need a song here. And it's going to be about Mary quitting the band. Spoiler alert. Oh, oops. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> cut it out. Cut it out. <laughs> He would then say, well, what if we did this in the style of one of those like really funky, fast James Brown songs, you know? And then he would send me music back. They went, you know, and I'd go, oh, great. And then I would listen to that and I'd like come up with some words and some melodies and things like that. So we worked from both sides in, I guess you'd say. Yeah, that's great. So I think in saying that you also answered what my other question would be is, um, which informed the other more, the story, the script, or the songs? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, it would seem that the script... Both. I was, I was going to say, it would seem that the script was kind of informing the songs, because you said you did have placeholders for songs. Yeah, and, and, and we did, but then I also got a few songs from him right at the beginning where he just sat down and said, oh, you know what? I really like this and I like this. And he sent me four or five tracks right up front. And we said, we don't know what these songs are, but maybe they'll work somewhere in the show. And I would listen to them and think, hmm, well, this sounds like it might go here. And we actually added a whole tune that wasn't in slated into the show because I liked the track so much that we had mm-hmm. that uh, I said, I want, I want to put this song in the show somewhere and and so the script sort of molded around that song so i guess more more often than not the script was affecting what songs we were writing yeah but occasionally it would the songs would kick back and say no i go here do you have any songs in the show that are strictly we're watching the band play a song that is not necessarily part of the story, but this is, you get to know the uh, the band just because they're playing this song. Yes, we actually have a couple of those. The sort the, of, I, we're at a concert now thing. Yeah. Um, the, the Mary uh, is our main character, and she's a little lost at the beginning of the show, and she, she walks into a concert of Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk, and, and essentially we watch a song with Mary as she first discovers the band. That is just their performance on stage during during their concert, and then there are a couple more uh, songs that are actually band practices, where like the band is together and mm-hmm. people are talking about playing the song, and then they break into the song and they play it. The challenge was always trying to make what those songs were about. Oh, my grammar is getting all bad here, <laughs> all bad. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's uh, making those songs be about the larger story arc mm-hmm. without making it so blatant that it sounds like they're singing about their lives. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. A lot of... I would actually say that most of the songs happen in that sort of context versus now my character wants to sing a song about how she's sad and she sings a sad song and the band plays behind her. Most of the songs in the show are either of a narrative nature or of a in context, we're actually playing a song right now in nature Um, with a few different exceptions to that. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I think it more than answered my question, Vaughn. That was that was wonderful. It's almost okay, like you're you're doing an interview and trying to give as much information as you can. Yeah, yeah. I should try that sometime. You should. You definitely should. So, does Fringe Festival do anything like not like this, not like a podcast, but they do any like, hey, come appear here and talk about your show as a promotional opportunity? Do they do that? They do a little bit of that. Um, they do they do interviews through the Fringe Festival with artists, um, but they do them weekly. I think they only really get through about eight um, because they only do it up to the Fringe Festival. So they do that. They do have a Fringe preview night that's coming up that we are not actually going to be a part of, but we will be attending, where a bunch of shows do little four-minute segments of their show. Um, Mm -hmm. Get up and sing a song or do a skit or I don't know what everybody will do. I think there's some burlesque shows and there's some... That's the really fun thing about being part of this festival atmosphere is that there are people doing spoken word poetry for an hour and then there are people doing burlesque shows and there are people doing musicals and there are people just doing dramas and like, you know, straight ahead, fourth wall realism, you know, and there's uh, all sorts of cool performance going on and not even necessarily specifically theater. There are dance pieces, there are poetry pieces, there are one man shows where you light a Barbie doll on fire and throw Twinkies at it. I don't think that's one of them. Well, next year, that's going to be the new one you write. Right, right. It's called... With the with the massive proceeds that you will gain from uh, Disco Jesus. Right. I can throw those away on a one-man show. <laughs> on the Barbie lighting... <laughs> Barbie Twinkie fire Twinkie yeah. extravaganza. Yeah, absolutely. There, it's titled now. I did want to talk to you a little bit about the casting process. And... Um, and how that went for you being that I believe this would have been your, is this, would this have been your first time at the, on the other side of the table? It definitely was. Yes. Um, I, I think that's worthy of being talked about. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, there's a chance you could just cut out some of the crappy stuff. Cut that last part out for sure. Yeah, definitely. I do have all the information about tickets now, but I guess we probably want to put that at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. The very, very end. Make people listen to everything before. We I'm going to say it once right now, just so that we, uh, yeah, let's get... do both. Let's do both. <laughs> Um, <laughs> capitalfringe.org is the website, www. But you know, that's old hat now. We don't need that. Yeah, this is 2013, baby. Um, the phone number for tickets, 866-811-4111. That's a lot of ones. That is a lot of ones. And they can call there if they want to see any of the shows. Right. But so they'll need to specifically ask for Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk or the Barbie Lighting Twinkie Show. Don't buy tickets for the Barbie Lighting Twinkie Show yet because it's still a work in progress. Oh, okay. Also, uh, the Fringe Festival office, if you're in D.C. and you want to go down there to buy tickets, you can uh, go down to 607 New York Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C. 20001. How many zeros did I say? 20001. It's got three zeros. I don't know how Two many. Two triple zero one. There you go. Tickets go on sale the seventeenth of June. I think that we're gonna actually fill up pretty quick. Great. That address is also the address that the show is being performed at because we are right outside the fringe building in the Baldacino Gypsy Tent Bar. So I'm gonna see the show, and I, I guess that means I need to get my tickets pretty quick here too. As soon as they, right. uh, as soon as they go on sale. June 17th. June yeah, 17th. Th- there's a special deal on June 17th. That's really the best deal you can get. You go down there on June 17th, you get for, I think, how much is it? $30? No, I don't remember. We'll quote it's, you on that. If it's more than that, Vaughn Irving will pay the difference, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I should have said it was way more and I can get more money back from everybody, right? Does that work both ways? Hmm. Anyways. 
you head down there on the twenty or on the seventeenth. Uh, they're open from eleven a.m. to no, no, from three p.m. Sorry, well, now I don't have any idea. They're open on that day. They're open on that day. That's when they open for the first June, time. June seventeenth. The way the Capital Fringe works, you need a button. You have to buy a button, and then you have to wear the button to the show to get in. Oh. The buttons cost seven dollars normally, and then tickets are seventeen. For thirty bucks. On the tr- on the seventeenth of June, you can get two buttons and two tickets and ten dollars credit at the bar. That's right outside the theater we'll be performing at. Wow! So that's a really good deal, like comparatively. Sure. That's what you would normally pay on two tickets. Yeah, do that. Definitely do that. Um, I assume that that you probably can't do that one online then. No, you have to actually go down in person. So. Uh, and you're only allowed to get one per person. So I can't... One, can't one set of two. One set of two per person, right. 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 So you uh, don't call me and try to get me to buy you some, because I'm already going to buy some for my family. Oh, and also, everybody should go to Facebook and like Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk on Facebook. We, yes, indeed. Uh, it's actually facebook.com slash Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk. That's I'm looking at it right now. A lot of things to type, but it's easy to remember. That's right. So casting. When we originally started casting, we had many roles that were all were men, uh, a a couple roles that could be either men or women, and then three roles for women. And the three, those last three women roles didn't need to play instruments and everybody else had to be able to play something. Um, A funk instrument too. Uh, We had some people come down with ukuleles and penny whistles and things. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, Vaughn, I, I, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have come with my penny whistle. I didn't know that wasn't funky enough. Just so everybody knows, Don was actually playing the penny whistle right then. <laughs> that was not some sort of radio magic. Yeah. It was real magic. It was real magic. Oh, yes. So you, and that's a very specific thing. I don't know that, I mean, probably most of the folks who are going to listen to this podcast, uh, when it comes out are going to realize, yeah, that's pretty specific, but for folks that may not know, that is insanely specific. Right. We were looking for actors who could sing, who also could play guitar, bass, drums, keyboard, saxophone, trumpet. Those were the main ones that we were looking for. And not just to be able to play those instruments, but to be able to play them in the style of the show. Right. Um, you know. Proficiently as well. <laughs> um <laughs> So at our open call, we had about 30 people show up to our open call, which was a pretty good showing. Of those 30 people, two of them were men, one of whom we already knew we wanted to be in the show. Um, But we had him come down anyway, just to make sure. The other 25 of them were women. Of of those 25 women, I want to say four or five of them played an instrument. One of those was the ukulele. (laughs) So we were really strapped for trying to find musicians. It was really uh, difficult. And the fact is I had a lot of amazing people come down to these auditions who I couldn't use. Um, I only had three women roles that I was casting um, that didn't need to play something well. I had some amazing people come down and sing and act and just kill it. And then I couldn't use them, which was tragic to me. And it made me really understand the other side of the table in an audition, the the people who are casting the shows, because also when they say they're rooting for you to be good when you come into the room, they're really rooting for you to be good when you come into the room. (laughs) The director and I um, and the other writer were sitting behind the table most of the day, and we had no poker face at all. When people started entertaining us, we were laughing, we were singing, we were just (laughs) enjoying ourselves. There was a point where Doug, uh, who is the director, Doug Wilder, was sitting next to me and uh, a girl came in and she was singing, um, what was the song? We asked them to bring in a disco or funk song. She came in and sang, I Need a Hero. I Need a Hero! Um, acapella, we didn't have an accompanist because we couldn't afford one. <laughs> and it was so amazingly good that we were like sitting in our chairs dancing. And like singing and, and we were happy and giggling together and we couldn't even end up using her in the show. 
like it was so hard to say <laughs> we loved that performance we can't use you you know um yeah and and of course these are all my peers too that's another thing that's weird about it is i'm not a i'm not a artistic director i'm not a casting director i'm an actor right and these are people that I know, that I run into at auditions, that I run into at theaters, that are friends of friends of mine, if they're not just friends of mine already. And um, so I actually, yeah, I ran into that woman and I said, oh, I'm so, you were so good. And she was like, stop it. I understand. I was like, you might understand, but I don't understand. <laughs> I have a problem that we can't cast you, you know? And, and so it's like, it's, it's, it's rough. And it made me yeah. want to like write a new show. For all the people that I just really want to work with now, because I met them at these auditions and I heard them knock it out of the park. It's interesting to, and, and people say that all the time. Like, it's not, you know, it's never about you. It's never about your talent, or it often isn't anyway. It's about, you know, things completely out of your control. Do you fit the costumes? Blah, blah, blah. And in your case, it was more even logistical than do you fit the costumes. It was, you know, there were really, you pinned yourself in a corner with casting before you even got out of the starting gate. You know, right, right. To mix metaphors. <laughs> it's okay. I love those. those. Those are the best kind of metaphors. As a writer, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm new to that. New to the writing, yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, to metaphors. And to you metaphors. metaphors last I week, didn't right? have any idea. That's also where I wrote comedy songs because I didn't have to use metaphors. <laughs> Uh, just be as literal as possible. I want a country song. <laughs> Anyways, the, uh, the casting, so that happened, uh, that the casting call happened and we were n not very much closer to being done with casting. I realized as we were working on it that I don't think that the people that I was originally looking for exist. <laughs> Though that doesn't mean to say that my cast isn't great because my cast is fantastic and we ended up with a great group of people. Um, we ended up adding one character to the show because the person that I really wanted to play this role couldn't play the, any of the instruments that I needed him to be able to play. And so we added another character to the show, which isn't the end of the world, frankly. It's we actually quite a good thing. I mean, you know, to be able to say, you know what, if we do this, if we make this change, it's not my original vision, but we're going to have a better product. Yeah. Oh, here was the the main nightmare of casting. Um, two of the folks that I really wanted to be in the show were involved with a um, a company called Dizzy Miss Lizzie's Roadside Review, which is a, a DC slash Baltimore area theater company that produces shows like this, actor musician shows, which is why I needed them so badly. These actors. Dizzy Miss Lizzie did a show last Fringe Festival uh, for the Capital Fringe last year uh, called The Brontes. And they decided to take it up to the New York Music Theater Festival this summer. Nymph, as it is called in the biz. And Nymph is happening for the exact same two weeks as the Capital Fringe Festival. Hooray! Yay. Yay for that. So, they, um... These two folks really wanted to be in my show, but they also really wanted to be in Dizzy Miss Lizzie, and we have uh, managed to to tweak everything, rehearsal schedule, performance schedules, and uh, um, we weren't able to, we actually thought we had to cancel a show because Nymph had scheduled a show during our show, but then they changed it, so we uncanceled our show, which was fantastic, <laughs> because we got five performances only of, of Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk. We ended up ha getting these two individuals who agreed to do our our show and the show in New York. They're going to be commuting back and forth to New York during that week, doing two shows, neither of which pays them a living wage. Uh, we're just so lucky. Yeah. Everything's wonderful. I got to say, sometimes I stress out about it, but it's nice having this opportunity to, to have this interview because I realize how amazingly lucky I am to have the group of people I've got working on this show. Oh, man. Producing is hard. Did you know it? I didn't yeah. know. I mean, I assumed, but I didn't really have a good concept of everything I was supposed to do. Unfortunately, and, I don't think Denny will listen to far enough into this podcast to get to that point that you just right. said that. Anybody who has ever produced anything, Denny Hitchcock. Who now owes us money. Yep. Well, we've already mentioned Circus, so he Oh, yeah, would. he already owed us money. Um, 
yeah, it's it's incredibly complicated, and uh, there's always more things that I haven't thought of. And trying to be the writer and an actor in the show while trying to do this production stuff is is much more complicated than I thought it would be. We've been having music rehearsals the last few weeks, and we've been doing two songs a week so that um, Paul and I would have time to finish writing the arrangements because we had arranged the songs, but we hadn't written all the music out. And uh, trying to get my charts done in time for rehearsal while also being the producer and making sure that I wasn't neglecting all my producer duties, and then getting to rehearsal and having looked at the songs and thought about them beforehand, I, it's a full-time job. It really is. And, uh, luckily you've, uh, you, you're, uh, you're a millionaire. You don't right. need to work. And I don't have to, I don't actually have four other jobs. <laughs> right. Right. Thank um, goodness you don't, because if you did, you wouldn't have time to do this. How would it ever happen? Yeah. Whew. So I guess, uh, you know, if, if folks are interested in the show, um, they can go to, uh, the DC Fringe Festival or Capital Fringe Festival site, which was capitalfringe.org, is that correct? Uh, capitalfringe.org, yes. They can go to uh, facebook.com slash Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk. You also have a Twitter account, at Disco Jesus Saves. Yes. Um, eventually, we will have our own website on the capitalfringe.org, uh, under the capitalfringe.org heading. They have a site for each page that gives you a little more info about the show. Um, but those have not been launched yet, and I will. Uh, the, the, the Facebook page will tell you. We will also be tweeting about that when it gets launched. I think we've reached the end of the show. I think so. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that there's lots more. Oh, man. That dude married her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even though they, like, cheated on each other a lot. Well, she cheated on him a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't worry. This isn't going in this. <laughs> I hope it does. I hope it does. <laughs> this is what people really care about. This will be the uh, the the after the show thing, like the bonus. Right, the bonus track. Like, when I write the song that goes at the end of the show... <laughs> So that'll go at the end. All right. Um, <laughs> and then after that, uh, we can we can have this. That'll be good. Good. Don did the graphic design for our uh, for our Disco Jesus and the Apostles of Funk. So I, I will say that I am yourself, pretty though. proud of that logo. I like the logo. Um, I've been getting a lot of compliments on it. I just printed twenty five hundred postcards with that logo on it. So. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, my curriculum vitae would definitely include um, uh, Santa and the Spacemen, a musical that I did in fifth grade. Mm. Mine would have, I, got, I, I received the Character Counts Award. They only gave it to one student. No, maybe ever. there was a boy and a girl. Ever. They only gave it to one student ever. Ever. And they decided, in, yeah, in my junior high, I was that. seventh grade and I gave me the Character Counts Award. <laughs> and I, I think it was as a consolation prize for not having any friends. So you and I have wanted to do a podcast, or not a podcast, really, like a Some radio sort of radio show. show yeah. yeah, since you know what, oh four, oh five, I don't, oh two. When did we do that dance concert thing? That, we did the dance concert in oh three, right? Yeah, because we were freshmen in college, and those were the characters of our radio show. So that was probably oh three, oh four, when we were talking about doing our doing our radio show. And unfortunately here we're not uh, we're not playing characters, we're just playing ourselves. Right, right. And we don't have WP. And we don't have WP. I, I took a capital bike share bike and I rode to Alexandria, which is <laughs> five and a half miles away. And the ride there was nice, and then the ride back was not nice. <laughs> <laughs> because it was nine o'clock at night and I was in shorts and a t shirt and it was cold. And it was dark, and it has, like, this little light that flashes, but I don't think the fl the flashy light does anything except for it keeps your eyes from adjusting to the dark. <laughs> if you ever need a sub for your podcast, I can interview people, too, and, like, send them in to you. If, like, I'm 
This is Vaughn Irving filling in for Don Denton on the only podcast ever. <laughs> wait, uh, what is it? The only podcast. The on only the podcast on the internet. Dot com. I can even put on a DJ voice like that one. Do you remember that Meg rented a bike while we were there? She didn't even rent it. She went to the bike rental place. The guy was like, oh, I like your story, how you're here doing this show. And, what, and he just gave her a bike and said, just return it. You know, when you're done, have it for the whole <sighs> run of the show. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And she never returned it? She never returned it? She never returned it. It was still at the house. If I'm not mistaken. It was still at the house, not for the next show, because I stayed on for the next show, but the show that I came back for after that, which was about a year later. Wow. I I really like this microphone. I wasn't sure if I was going to. I got it as uh, reward points for being insanely in debt. Oh, yeah. And so um, instead of not paying thousands of dollars to the bank... I got a microphone. Yay! So that's cool. That's good, because my credit card doesn't even do that, so... <laughs> I'm just insanely in so debt. I got no microphone. Insane. No microphone, just insanely in debt. Uh-